Hello and welcome back to the Instec London podcast. This is Matthew Grant, a partner at Instec London. And in this episode, we brought to you the first extract from our event at the Steelyard talking about MGAs and what they're doing in innovation. Uh, and again, a very lively crowd. And we had three very interesting discussions. First of all, with Coverly talking about what they're doing around SME insurance. And then Tarion and their partners, Artificial, about their cyber product. And then finally, uh, Digital Asset Services talking with InsureTech Gateway about what they're doing in the area of protecting crypto assets. The questions are very easy, Brian. Firstly, tell us, what does Coverly do? Um, so, thank you for having me on stage. Um, Coverly is uh, digital, on-demand, uh, small business insurance, in a nutshell. I see you've come on brand. Appreciate that. Um, so, and why I was is it threatened if I didn't. So, yeah. Why? So, why is it different? There's no shortage of people doing sort of SME stuff. What, why is yours special? No. Um, so, <laughs> that's a, that's a tricky question because there's so many reasons why what, where we've tried to be a bit more different. Um, you know, behind. You know, when we started the journey, we had. Um, extensive research behind the scenes to try and understand what the customers wanted and what was coming through loud and clear time and time again you know we looked at the market as it was what customers were demanding and and sort of you know where we're trying to sort of uh, uh, pinpoint our, our difference is really give uh, small businesses micro SMEs um, that sort of instant on-demand pay-as-you-go cover which is what we were being told um, was required in the market. And so that's where we sort of, you know, placed our bets uh, in, in the product we've launched. Sounds like it's customer focused. Um, not, 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 not all these things are. So, so tell us what the genesis was. How, who came up with the idea? Where, where did it come from? It would be no surprise in the, in the room, you know, people don't like insurance. Um, they, they feel that it's a grudge purchase, um, begrudgingly taxed to protect something that they don't feel, they don't know what they're buying, in essence, when you speak to them. And so that comes on to the next point of, okay, so how can we start stripping that back and making it a bit more jargon-free into layman's terms? Um, you know, and I, and I go on. It, that there were so many opportunities for us to enter the market, and we thought, well... We can't do it all, but at the same time, we can go a little way into each of it and, and start to, to sort of build a brand that changes the face of insurance for this community. Um, so the key focus for us is really how can we change it to a purchase that you do once a year, you don't think about, you don't want to think about, to more of that ongoing relationship. How can we build trust? So you know, back to the Bibby values, it's about supporting businesses, believing in businesses, being there as a trusted voice. So there's a lot of preparatory work in that. How long did it take you from yeah. the moment that they, Bibby went go to getting something live? Um, so the, the actual decision to invest in, in building the MVP was in uh, beginning of August last year, 2018. Um, so we uh, spent... We, we, we already had identified a lot of our build partners at that point, so we had a bit of a head start, um, but then we spent five months um, building uh, our MVP um, before going live. And what, so how long have we been live? Uh, so, well, we soft launched end of January this year, so we've been live eight weeks. Given that you are live, what have you learned? That what's, 
What was different from what you thought? What was different from what I thought? You know, um, so, so how, how did live trading and the, and, the, and the way in which your customers have behaved change in any way from, from what you were expecting? I think one of the, the, the bigger revelations to us is, I mean, everyone always talks about you know, mobile over laptop or office hours versus out of hours, you know, how we call it. Um, the, the biggest revelation is actually people don't necessarily want to talk to you. Um, we always try and, you know, this men mental uh, picture of contact centres being pushed to the phones. And, you know, majority of our traffic is through web chat. Um, and, and, you know, and you go to sort of... Uh, geek myself out here, contact centre, conferences and things. Um, and, and that is the future. They're all seeing it in terms of those customer trends that, you know, these small business owners, they, they think that if they get on the phone, there's a half-hour conversation there. They don't have time for that, so they don't engage. Whereas, actually, they might be on web chat for half an hour with us, but they're only in and out. They're not giving it that full dedication. They can do other things. And that's, that's really been quite a, a revelation in terms of man up your, your web chat channels. Done. Last question. Which is the best in short tech community in the world, do you think? It's <laughs> a loaded question. Uh, uh, Robin, what can Thank I say? Thank you very much. Eternally on, yours. <laughs> on you go. Thank, Thank you very you. much, Brian. So next up, we've got Jason Coombe from Tarion uh, and David King from Artificial. Um, we're going to put you guys through the same process. Um, so Jason, can I start with you? Yep. T tell me what Tarion do. The cyber market in its current existence has a lot of talented people, but it's very centric to the London industry. And it's felt sometimes that the uh, barriers to business perhaps around the UK are felt by an education piece or getting the message out. Um, and we felt with the right partnerships distribution model, we could help businesses, no matter where their geography is in the UK, access the cyber market and access the right products. Nice. Uh, and then what's your distribution model? Are you broker-orientated? We are broker-orientated, yes. Um, in our first two years of trading, we've been predominantly uh, Lloyd's broker-focused. Um, that's been our, I guess, building platform. Um, the viewpoint in the next 12 to 24 months is to grow a distribution network outside of that model and push through the regions. Given there are no brokers in the room, or there normally aren't, have you plans to? Uh, oh, there are a couple. Uh, would you change that model? Is there, is there, what, what do you think your plans are long term? Be a broker centric, or go direct to consumer at some point? Um, I think or customer at some point. Yeah, very good question. I think it, in the initial phase where we're at now, we'll always be broker focused. Um, I think to push direct to client, we'd be moving right into the micro SME. It brings challenges with it. Um, that at this stage from a resource perspective and the rest of it would perhaps be a, a future rollout. And how do you get your capacity? Who, who is it and so can we you are, say? Uh, we are Lloyds backed, 100% um, Lloyds backed um, from a capacity standpoint. Um, I think, and I was talking to people earlier, that being in the cyber market brings with it um, perhaps an easier access to capacity than in more traditional lines. What with it being a business that people are keen to invest in and in a lot of cases, syndicates perhaps struggle to obtain the expertise at market rate or market value. So there are those who are willing to back um, expertise from elsewhere. Um, and, and if you were to differentiate yourself from the competition, how would you do that? Um, so a 
couple of things, really. I think, um, firstly, my colleagues that I work with, their expertise, their knowledge. As I alluded to earlier, whilst there are a lot of talented people in the cyber market, it's predominantly London-focused. And in terms of years of experience in the market, it's few and far between those that would be considered grey-haired. So we have uh, leading experts in the claims area, in the underwriting area, and it helps us, I guess, get confidence from the market space. Um, beyond that, technology partners um, and the ability to bespoke and be lean. See how we set that up there. Uh, Mr. Technology Partner, come and uh, tell us. So, so how did you get involved with Tarion and, and how did that start? And First of all, good evening, Robin. Good evening. Uh, how did we get involved with you guys? Uh, I think we knew the investor. So there's a there's a VC back entity that started up Tarion, and coming from a VC back firm myself, we operate in those circles. And one of the VCs said uh, uh, that they were looking at technology for the MGA. So I think they were, we were then introduced to the CEO of Tarion. Mm, nice. So and and what was the, what does the technology involve? You know how 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 do you build it? What uh, you know what are you most proud of? I think the really big challenge here, especially with Tarion, is you've got the, as I said, the, the few people that have grey hair in cyber, and they've got their expertise, and they've got their very complicated algorithms that do the pricing, and translating that into a really simple user experience. So in terms of what we did for them, I think it was taking all those coverages, breaking them up into modules, digitising the pricing algorithms for those modules, so you get to a point where the user can very simply and straightforwardly select what coverages they would like. You then use third-party data sets and an internal rules engine to decide whether they are applicable for those coverages, provide them with a price, and then very quickly allow them to straight through digital process that. So I think the where they are now is around 85% of digital risks are targeted to go straight through, and that means that the underwriters are only focusing on high-value tasks that underwriters should focus on, and 85% of the risks, whether it's the basics in terms of documentation or whether it's more advanced stuff in terms of uh, presenting the data in a way it can be manipulated by machine learning algorithms, you've got all of that. So, admittedly, it's not 100% straight through processing, but targeting 85% seems to hopefully put them in a position where they can, they can do what is most important for their business. It's a trick question. Uh, what does user experience mean when you're dealing with brokers? So brokers do things a certain way, and if you ask them to do some things differently, they probably tell you where to go. Is this correct? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So what we try and do is we say, this is a great user experience in that it's really simple. You ask them the fewest questions possible. But if I think the next steps that we're working towards is that you try and integrate in the way that they work at the moment. So if you say to them, okay, then you don't want to fill out a form, can you be bothered to just write that information in an email and send it to us? If they can do that, then we can take it out of the email. And because of the way that you've built all of the platform with APIs that can receive the information once you've digitized it, then those same pricing algorithms can take the information from an email as well as a form. So you can say to the broker, apologies for picking on you, but just send me an email and I'll get you a price really fast as well. Sounds to me like you're encouraging bad behaviour in brokers. Uh, but it also sounds like a very cool, cool piece of technology. Um, okay, so having um, worked together through this, 
what um, single piece of advice would you have to anybody who is about to start out on the same journey? I'll take this one. Um, I think um, a major part of investing any time or um, process in developing a new distribution platform really requires uh, an understanding of the different types of projects you might engage in. So if you're going down an agile route or down an alternative route, as the um, project owner, you need to understand that scoping it and investing time at the start reaps rewards at the back end. Um, you know, there is a, a rush to get to market, a desire to be there before the others, because there's this viewpoint or conception that first out takes market share. Um, the thing that we've learned from it is a little bit of patience goes a long way to when you actually get to the stage, which we're almost at now, of launching your product in the market space. So the, the thing I would say is perhaps take a bit more, less haste, a bit more patience in the process. Doesn't sound very short techy to me. Um, <laughs> thank you very much, David, Jason, very kind. Thank you, well done. So next up, um, we've got digital asset services. Um, this is David Janczewski, have I got that right? Close enough. Thank you. And Richard Chatter, who's the CEO of Insurance um, um, Gateway. Welcome to my living room. Um, so let's start. What does digital asset services do? Uh, in a nutshell, we offer insurance for cryptocurrencies. Um, the difference that we have versus, I guess, other providers is we insure cryptocurrencies in uh, a hot or online environment. So I've heard this discussed for a while now. So how did the idea come around and, you know, um, how did you set about getting it to market? Um, well, like all good ideas, it uh, started in a pub. Um, it started in a pub in Slovenia, of all places as well, um, where uh, I was talking to somebody who'd made uh, a heck of a lot of money in running a cryptocurrency exchange. And as a 27-year-old with hundreds of millions of euros in the bank, you kind of start to worry about how much cash, and this chap was worried about how much cash he was leaving on his balance sheet as a mechanism for self-insurance, uh, because he couldn't buy a policy anywhere. Um, and kind of in line with that, I'd been spending some time working with an organization called the Royal Mint, who I guess is, I would say, the most conservative, secure, uh, concerned organization you could ever wish to work with. And so we'd come up with some pretty interesting ways to secure hot environments and, and something that we thought was very good. Um, so here was this thing that we had developed as a proprietary piece of technology. Here was um, a marketplace that seemed to be crying out for it, and it's as simple as putting the two bits together. I'm sorry, this is out of left field, but without sharing special source, how do you price the insurance of digital assets? Very simply, because price volatility in crypto assets is all over the shop, right? It was up 20% today, Bitcoin. Um, so we reverse price it. So what we say is how much cover do you want to buy? What's the dollar value of cover that you want to hold for your, um, against your crypto assets? So it's much easier for us to say buy £5,000, £10,000, £100,000 worth of cover. Um, and then you take volatility out of that question. Yes, that's a new theme. I like that. 
Um, so what role did InsureTech Gateway play? When did they come on the scene? I met them in the pub as well. Um, <laughs> so um, genuinely, I, I bumped into a chap called Stephen Britton, who's the founder of the Gateway in a bar. And he, um, after about half an hour of um, incohesive chat on my part, and not relating to drink, by the way, just a, just incohesive chat, um, we, he said, come and, come and have a chat. And I think, for me, you know, I spent nine months rolling around this idea, not really sure how to take it to market. And I bumped into Stephen, and all of a sudden I found this really enabling capability from my perspective in terms of this can make it real. Richard, one for you. I know you see endless propositions dance before you. What, what, um, what was special about this one? So uh, we invest, uh, obviously, our time and energy in, in uh, you know, our sweat and our, and our cash in the businesses that we back uh, in return for equity. So any business that we invest in, we invest in because we think it's going to be a valuable business one day. You know, we may not be right every time. I, <laughs> I suspect we won't be right every time. But uh, that, that's the objective, and we think about all of the uh, all aspects of that as an investment, and to the extent that we can help that company succeed. So where's the value add that we can provide for that business? because that also allows us to uh, leverage this, our sweat in the business too. So we met David, uh, clearly you know, a guy who was uh, extremely knowledgeable about his subject, been working with the Royal Mint, uh, with uh, one of his co-founders as well, who uh, comes from uh, working with security services uh, in, on uh, similar security type products as well. And uh, they came to us with a proposition to build a product which frankly there is clearly an enormous amount of demand for and absolutely no supply. So there, there aren't many of those in the insurance industry where you see uh, a product you can build where people are phoning you up before you've even built it telling you asking you how they can get hold of the product. And um, so, yeah, all, all the necessary bits in there. And the question was, can we, can we get this to market? And can we convince uh, an insurer that this is an insurable risk? So we, we sat down with David, went through it for a number of, uh, number of weeks, putting together a proposition that we felt was presentable to a couple of our partner insurers in a process we call bonkers or brilliant and uh, spoke to those insurers and said, do you think this is something you could ultimately insure once we've done some more work on it? And, and they said, yes, we think we could. So at that point, we had the green light to go ahead. And, and uh, r roughly, how long did it take from when David walked through the door to you you know, taking the decision to go and having an insurance partner and, and, and in not too much detail, what's the process? I mean, how, what do you put your people through to get them from idea to the finished article? Uh, clearly, I mean, that varies from, from one company to another. And David's product is not the most vanilla of products. Fortunately, uh, time foreshortens when you look backwards. 
And so it felt like a couple of days. It may have been a little bit longer. Um, and there's a tech behind this. Who, who put the tech together? Is that part of your job, you guys? No, David and his team built the tech. We provided, uh, we provide uh, appointed representative status on our regulatory permissions. We've partnered him with uh, insurers and uh, we've navigated him through that whole process. Cool. Um, so, uh, same questions we asked earlier. Uh, having been through this brutal process of bringing something to market, what, have you any advice for people out there who are thinking about it? I guess I would say I kind of split things into the what and the how. And we spent a load of time on the what. And if I could do it again, I would spend more time on the how early on, particularly with, you know, I came from no, I don't claim to know much now, but I came from no background in insurance whatsoever. And so I think the how and getting into the detail of what it takes to make it something a reality takes longer, costs more, is far more rigorous than I guess I'd anticipated. So if I could say one thing, if you're going to get onto it, absolutely get the what right. Assume that it's wrong, by the way, because if you get it, what is right at that moment in time, and it will change a dozen times between when you think of the idea and when it actually goes live, and spend a load of time on how to actually make it a reality. And exactly where are you in the process now? So we, we have a technology piece of the puzzle as well. So we are live at this moment in time. We've been live in a undercover kind of quiet way um, for the last three weeks. Um, traction's been good, given that we're not telling anybody about it, apart from everybody here, of course. Um, so we have kind of 53 countries, or customers in 53 countries already. We're really starting to see that. So we're very, very early on. We actually haven't put the insurance piece live yet because we're just managing very carefully that delivery to market. See how current we are at Intertech London, that we know about these things, we bring them to you even before they go live. Um, Okay, we've got time for a couple of questions. How difficult was it to get insurers on board compared to the other challenges? Compared to the other challenges, yeah. <laughs> um, it surprised me. Um, I guess I came from a, a place which was government-backed, where we got into cryptocurrency before Ethereum, if you know what Ethereum is, before that even existed. And so I was expecting a really long, hard slog. Um, it surprised me how knowledgeable most insurers are about cryptocurrencies at large, um, digital assets even more so. So has it been easy? No, but I would say it's comparable to everything else. I mean, when you're building something at a technology level, it has to be secure. Um, all the time and up all the time, they're equally as challenging. I think it, I wouldn't say it was any more difficult or less difficult. It's a different type of difficult. Education, although we start from a much stronger base than where I came from, um, is the kind of key thing. You know, and we're only just, I mean, if you want my, my kind of view on it, I'd say the whole world of digital assets, we're at about 1996 in comparable years to where the internet was. So, we, you know, it's, we're only a decade into digital currencies, I guess. Um, and I think there's you know, at least another decade before we hit some sort of maturity level. Last one. 
Um, what uh, I find it fascinating, what aspects of the cryptocurrency are you insuring? Is that just loss or is that theft? And do you have any exclusions like the recent uh, when the, there was a, a sector uh, who took hold for a majority of the blockchain for a period of time? And uh, Yes, so, so uh, thank you for that. We, we, we cover le- uh, loss and theft. Um, so they're, they're the two that we cover. So, you know, whether you lose access to your funds or somebody maliciously steals them. Um, we are careful about which currencies we support. So a 51% attack that happened with uh, blockchain gold recent or Bitcoin gold recently is something that we are very cautious of. And that's, a, you know, I think we look at prevention rather than cure. So there's a good example where we wouldn't take on insuring that particular currency because it was it was weak. It was obviously weak before that happened, quite frankly. Um, it's no surprise that it did. Thank you. Last question for me. What do you drink in a um, Slovenian pub? Anything they put in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> very dangerous. Thank you both very much. Cheers. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that fascinating discussion. We'll be back with extracts from more of our speakers. In the meantime, if you're interested in what we're doing at Instec London, you can follow us on www.instec.london where you can see our forthcoming events and sign up for our newsletter.